As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Taylor Payne! Hello, hello, how are we doing? We all right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome new kid on the pod, a man so disgustingly young that I think I've got boxer shorts in the house that are older than him. Uh, a die-hard Everton fan. <laughs> Plucked from obscurity and thrust into the big leagues to report on a proper club. <laughs> And these lights are very hot, so let's hope he doesn't pass out again. Please give a huge pot on the tine welcome to Mr. Jacob Whitehead. There he is. Thanks for making the effort. Thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> All right, what could I possibly say about this next man that hasn't already been said at excruciating length? on pretty much every episode that we've ever recorded. Uh, after a hard day of annoying the fuck out of Eddie Howe with his stupid, pointless questions, he likes nothing more than to, <laughs> than to propose stupid, pointless theories while tucking into a vegetable lasagna in his underpants. Ladies and gents, it's the one, the only, Captain Chris Waffles Waff. Enjoyed that. Yeah, all right, mate. Good to see you. All right. When you need somebody to tell the big stories, when you need gravitas, when you need authority, when you need somebody to cry at the drop of a hat, the best way to describe him is in his own words. And I quote, I'm a magnificent eagle soaring down from the mountaintop. If you want to cry, I'll fucking make you cry. If you want to laugh, I'll make you laugh. If you want misery, misery is my mantra. I'm not interested in who got 20 minutes pre-season. I don't give a shit about hamstrings. I do big emotion. Ladies and gents, he also does Bournemouth away every year. Please put your hands together for Mr. George Coggins! 
Well, I think that's it. That's nice. Let's get started. Wonderful. How are we doing? You all right? Yeah, great. Thanks for that fade out. I'm all right. I'm a bit petrified, I have to say. Yeah. Not because of this, but Chris has just pulled me to one side and said 20 members of his family are in the audience tonight. <laughs> Hello, the Wafts. I'd just like to distance myself from anything that George Corkin says this evening about well, Chris. It, all right? It, it means the very few things that I had prepared to say have now just gone <laughs> completely out the window. And I have to be nice about Chris. No, no. <laughs> it's like having waff in surround. All right, well, you can have a look at my T-shirt then. <laughs> nice! <laughs> I was trying to guess what that was, and that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but I should have guessed it was that. Right, should we start properly now? Yeah, okay, I think come on this, is, this, is, uh, this is all of us, isn't it? So, yeah, uh, is it? Should we get... Yeah. Oh. Did you not talk about the fucking work experience, kid? Oh, yeah. shit. Taylor, we forgot the work experience lad. Yeah, we've, we've had a, a mandate down from the athletic that we have to let the work experience lad come on for oh, some live podcast experience. Um, yes, we've had a late edition. Ladies and gentlemen, Apparently, he's got his own podcast as well. They always do, don't they? Uh, he'll fix a paper jam in the inkjet. He will not put anything smelly in the microwave on a lunchtime. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's bloody Alan from work. <laughs> Alan from work. even got my own microphone (laughs) doesn't matter what we say now does it at all (laughs) sorry to spoil it even guys (laughs) they've heard enough of your shit anyway so it's all right thanks for coming on thank you for being here thank you thanks for the invite yeah was that obvious by the way that that was happening (laughs) we desperately tried to keep that a surprise yeah great okay (laughs) right then We've got loads to talk about. Uh, the events of the last uh, 10 days have obviously made a bit of a dent in what we were going to talk about originally. So we're going to do this in, uh, uh, in two parts, like we said. But it's the men's international break in the minute. It's pot in the time. And we know it's two years since the takeover. Yes, two years. Two years, my God. Uh, we had a burst of nostalgia last week, listening back to some of the podcasts that we've recorded before. Uh, and this stood out to us as being particularly prophetic from George for the last two or three days and was there with their husband, Mia Dad Caduce, and was joined by Jamie Rubin too. And she was doing all her media. I went in last at the end of the day and um, she was obviously very tired by that point. I mean, she, she said to me at one point, um, what's the effect of, um, really must make sure that I don't over-promise. I'm, I'm just really conscious of not doing that. I've seen that happen in the past and it's failed. And I, I was kind of silent for a minute and I said, that, you know, there are literally headlines on Sky Sports News at the minute, you saying that Newcastle are going to win the Premier League within five years and compete with Man City and PSG. And you're, you're saying you don't want to overpromise. And she said, did I say that? Oh, it's been, oh, right, it's been a long day, yeah. Competing with Man City and PSG, ladies and gents. That's fair, that's fair. But not in one-off games. So she was talking about 
competing for trophies. Mm. So, um, but that is just incredible, isn't it? To, to think about how far we've come in those, in those two years. Yeah. And you were there that night, Al, the first night, Jesmond Dean Hotel. And it wasn't were... meant to be, but you, you can tell everyone, yeah, it's fine. Um... <laughs> was that a secret? <laughs> I was, was sneaked in there, yeah. Um... But, but, they, but, I mean, from day one, they invited you down there. They wanted to, to chat to you. So what did you chat about that, that night? And what do you make of how the owners... More than the other stuff. fucking owner did with me anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I just think the way... I think they realised how bad it was. And we were all sort of hanging on every word that they said because it had been... It had been that bad. It, it, it had been as low as it could probably get, and we were all ready for a change and something new. But I, I mean, I don't think anyone in this room, not even you, George, with your superpowers, could have imagined two years later what would be achieving, who would be beaten, where we were actually aiming to get to in such a small amount of time. We thought it might happen in five, six, seven years, but I don't think anyone could have imagined that it would have happened in two years that we're going to be competing against the very best, expecting to beat the best. I mean, I expected us to beat PSG last week. I don't know, I don't know about you. I mean, I thought, I think at home with our, with our fans behind us, then we can compete with the very, very best. But I, didn't, I don't think anyone expected that after two years, no. Definitely not. Um, Chris, let's have a little chat about how the, sort of the current success hasn't just been about recruiting new people, has it? There's been a lot of people who were there before behind the scenes who are still there now. Yeah, I mean, what's been amazing about this takeover and the success subsequently, which we've spoken about before, is that unlike, for example, if you talk about PSG or you look back to Man City, it wasn't just everything was basically thrown out and, and, and start again. There, there were the roots of what Newcastle could build from already there. And you look at it for a start, you look at the first team squad. Now, I don't think any of us expected the improvement that there's been in a lot of players are already there, but some of the players who are thriving in the team now, Fabian Cher, Sean Longstaff, all of these players have just improved immeasurably from having a head coach who's come in and his team and they've worked with them, really improved them. But then you look behind the scenes, you've had changes, so there's actually an executive structure now, but then below the executive structure, below Dan Ashworth and Darren Eels, a lot of the people who are there were there beforehand and have been empowered to improve what they were doing. And I mean, I, would, I wanted to ask Alan, I suppose, you, you were at the club in the mid to late 90s when obviously we would at very difficult times. So Bobby Robson comes in. What is it like internally within the club when you sort of, I suppose you have a feeling about some of those people that you know are the right people maybe to be in positions and it's not quite working. And then for the figurehead to change and all of that change, I know it was ownership this time rather than manager, but what is that change like? How does it feel for you as a, as a player on the pitch? Well, people say it shouldn't, it shouldn't really matter who or what the owners are. And I, get, I sort of get that argument because... As a player, that shouldn't really have anything to do with you because you should always be expected to go out. But it doesn't work like that. It's very, it's very similar to what's happening at Manchester United now. Eventually, at the very top, it always filters down into the workshop. Whatever the owners are like, eventually, it might take time, but it drips and drips and drips and it eventually gets onto the, onto the pitch. And that's what had sort of happened at Newcastle. So... New owners, new manager, it's just a huge relief for players that didn't feel part of it, then it's their chance to have another chance. For the players that were favourites of the other manager, then they've again got something to prove. So all of a sudden, you get a fresh dressing room. Someone or all the players have then got something to, uh, to prove again. So when you've got a manager, then you've got owners, and then 
put all that together with an expectant or a crazy crowd who have basically been fed nothing for years. So when all that comes together, it should be pretty powerful. You were obviously fucking brilliant. I mean, Thanks. I, 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 <laughs> you're welcome. What a creep. Um, I've got no other point than that. I just wanted to say that. Um, no, but, but under Rude, in the bad days under Rude, the dark days under Rude, you looked a very different footballer than you did in the early days under Bobby. How can that happen? Well, because you always want to be loved. You always want to feel as if you're part of it. And certainly even looking into the long term that you want to feel as if you're valued. But I never, I never felt any of that with him. From the very first day that, that Rude walked into the, uh, into the dressing room, I knew that we were just not going to get on. I knew that straight away he wanted to sort of ostracise the senior players, push the senior players to one side, which... As a manager, you've got every right to do, but then you've got to back it up by whoever you're going to pick instead of the senior players. They have to then come in and perform. Um, and that was what, his, what was his weakness was Sir Bobby's greatest strength, I think, in terms of the man management, because I know coaching's important, but certainly in today's game, because of the salaries, because of everything else, the egos, um, then the man management side of thing, I think, is far more important than the coaching. And then he came in and just made everyone feel special. Bobby, he loved everyone. He gave everyone an opportunity. And very much like what's happened now is that he used that to his advantage. He used that to get the crowd going. And we know if you get the crowd going up here, then you're practically already 1-0 up. So that's what the new owners have done. That's what Eddie's done. And they've sort of grasped that straight away. George, the recruitment's been pretty flawless, hasn't it? Let's be honest. From the players that they've brought in, uh, the, the, the people behind the scenes, and especially the manager, Eddie Howe, the recruitment has been spot on, hasn't it? Oh, the rec recruitment's been insanely good, yeah. I mean, ast astonishing. And of course, it's not, it's not been about getting the big names and, and bringing them in straight away and doing that kind of stuff. But if we're talking about the manager, I think he's already up there in the same in the same pantheon as Sir Bobby and Kevin Keegan, he has to be. I mean, they're my touchstone managers as a, as a fan, and I was lucky enough to work with, with Sir Bobby. But I think the interesting thing about that is how different he is as a personality. I mean, both Kevin and Sir Bobby had that sort of absolute magnetic side to their personalities. They were man managers. They, you know, they were Pied Pipers. You would just follow them, follow them anywhere into battle. And Eddie is this sort of almost insular, workaholic. He's not that sort of big expressive personality with a load of charisma. But somehow he's tapped into part of our psyche in a way that both of those great men did. And I think that's the sort of fascinating thing that this outsider has come to the club. And, you know, back in the day, there was all that kind of nonsense about Newcastle being everybody's second favourite team, which was a load of bollocks. It didn't mean anything to us. I mean, I'm very, very proud of the way that that team played and wouldn't change any of those memories of your time, Alan, at all. But, but you know, that wasn't an award that we wanted. That wasn't something that we, we felt proud about. I mean, who gives a shit? I mean, I, you know, and I love the fact that Eddie has come in and taken that part of our personality and sort of said, we're not going to get given anything. So we have to go out there and get it for ourselves. And as a region, as a city, you know, there's been plenty of times in the past we've been left to rot. So let's just do it and not give a shit about what anybody else thinks. And he's up there with those other two as far as I'm concerned. 
I mean, the city feels refreshed, doesn't it? I mean, it feels different, doesn't it, in town now? Uh, the rejuvenation of the city, and, and it's, it, it's a feeling every day. You feel it. You go into town, you go at the match. It's there every day, isn't it, Jacob? Yeah, I mean, I remember coming up. I was at Uni in the North East. I remember coming up for a couple of Everton fixtures at St. James's Park when World of Bin, the dark days of Newcastle, and it's just light and day, kind of coming back now, seeing that atmosphere. And that was kind of something I wanted to look into, the wider city. Like, I have loved being in the North East over the last six months since I've been up here. Like, people really taking me... Or I think I've taken the city to heart. Um, so friendly. And I kind of wanted to look into that. And without going too deep, I mean, this is pod in the time live, not planning meetings live, but I kind of had a look into the... kind of what's actually changing in the city because, like, the owners, it's not just... It's an investment in the region, not just in the football club. And I think people have been really open about that. And so just kind of looking into what that means, the opportunities which are being offered. Obviously, it's complex, but I mean, it's economics, it's politics. Life is pretty complex. Um, but I guess just for you guys who've been here far longer than me, both in terms of the mood, the city itself, the hope, not just for the football team, but wider, what have you made of it? I'm going to jump in here before... George comes back with the fact that I haven't been working for the last six months. So I'm going to jump in there and say that. Why? Why have you not been working? <laughs> I've been on paternity leave, Alan. For six months? Six months, yeah. Did you have the fucking baby or what? <laughs> six months? Did they not tell you that work right. experience, do you know? Um, <laughs> you feeling all right? Or you, do you have any stitches or anything like that, do you? It's good to see you've got your figure back, Chris. He had to get put to bed. Anyway, as I was going to say, um, I, I do, despite having taken several months off, I do love my job, but there was a point where, I'll be honest, covering the club was not, was not in any way fun. It was, I mean, partly, I suppose, that was to do with the pandemic and the situation we were in, but it was, it was cyclical. Everything you wrote about was negative. Nobody wanted to read about wider issues. Nobody wanted to read about individual players performing well, or as most of them were at the time, not particularly well. It was basically, is Mike Ashley going to go? Is the takeover going to happen? Is Steve Bruce going to be sacked? It was like a cycle from month on end. There'd be a few turgid wins, and then Newcastle would, would then flop again, and you'd have weeks upon end where they wouldn't win, or it would be crap 1-0 victories where it's backs against the wall. And it really it wasn't fun to cover, and, and there was a point where you thought, well, this is never, ever going to end. And it's just light and day now. I could write about anything. And to hear and speak to all of you guys tonight, you want to talk, you want to hear about everything going on at the football club and the wider city. And that, for me as a journalist, is, is brilliant as well because it, it energises me, it gives me so much more to write about and enjoy and feel better about it. Six months, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fucking hell, I had six hours when my missus had a baby. Had to How get out and play the next day. It's amazing. <laughs> right, it's, it's, very, it's very important that no one gets cancelled tonight, so <laughs> just leave it there. You've, okay, okay. I absolutely agree with everything you've said. <laughs> but let's, I did let's hear no stop. videos or reporting back, so that's fine. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Uh, I think that pretty much brings us up to the present day. Uh, now, the most recent match was West Ham away. It wasn't a bad result, but if you'll allow us a little bit of poetic license, uh, we might just ignore that one, if that's okay. Uh, but last Wednesday saw something truly wonderful, historic, ridiculous, and amazing happened at St. James's Park. I think, quite possibly, the drunkest Wednesday night that there's ever been <laughs> in Newcastle. Um, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a good what, day? What, I, I can't remember what happened. <laughs> My first pint was at one o'clock in the afternoon, so by eight o'clock I didn't have a clue who we were playing. So you can't remember 20 years ago because you're too old like me, and you can't remember two weeks ago. That's oh, yeah. even worse than me. No, in all seriousness, I think uh, for a fan, for me watching, having been to Kevin Keegan's debut, uh, having been to so many great games over the years, um, I think as a fan, I think that was as good as it gets, that, that I've experienced, that atmosphere that night. Um, it was something very special. It was a great result, a great performance. Yeah, just the atmosphere was just, it was great to be inside St. James's that night. And even walking to the ground, it, would, it felt it felt special. Um and that was even after nine pints, so yeah. Um, it was just a great, great night. And we've got, I think, we've got more to look forward to. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, the games that I played in, 5-0 Man United, with being part of the Barcelona one, I think in 20 or 30 years' time that people will be talking about last Wednesday night in, in those three games, for me, were the, yeah. were the standout fixtures. Yeah. Well, this is handy for our script, isn't it, Taylor? It's good. That, that's brought us on beautifully to this next point. Um, do we think that the Paris Saint-Germain game was the best game ever at St. James's Park? Yeah. No. What was? Barcelona. Barcelona. Let's just have a quick show of hands here. Who thinks Barcelona and the Champions League was the best ever game at St. James's Park? Show us your hands. Oh, look at that. And who thinks it was Paris Saint-Germain? I think that's pretty conclusive, isn't it? Did you Man put United your hand up, Chris? And Man United... <laughs> Man United, all right, okay. <laughs> Only because I played. <laughs> There's a bit of a cross-section there. I enjoyed finding out about the Barcelona game yesterday in our pre-pod meeting. <laughs> when Watching the highlights. When were you born? Uh, a year after. A year you were after just the a, Barcelona Just game. a twinkle in somebody's eye at that point, weren't you? Oh, not even a twinkle. <laughs> just pure... Just. <laughs> Uh, we loved uh, Tino and Gillespie, etc., scoring against Barcelona. But for the Paris game, to have two Geordies on the score sheet, that, I mean, that's special, isn't it? That's proper, that. That is amazing, George. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I, I think there is recency bias. I think you do have a bit of that, of course. And as I said, 
I can't remember 20 years ago, even though I was there. That's, that's, that's kind of frustrating. Of course, I had my head down over my laptop. But I do think that PSG was, was the best because we do still have that just sense of wonder, I think, about the team and almost that kind of sense of naivety. I know you said, Alan, that you thought that we might beat them, that Newcastle might win that night. But even so, to splatter them the way that Newcastle splattered them, I just think was incredible. And you're looking around the stadium, just as we have been for the last 18 months or so, two years, and there's that sense of wonder on people's faces. Now, I, I think in 97, Newcastle were a great team, and I'm not, I'm not you know, th that's my team. That is my team. You're, you're always my team. And, and, you know, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't change those memories, but I just thought that PSG was so perfect in the moment. And again, all four of the goal scorers, you know, not just the two Geordies. Yeah. You're talking about Miggy and Fabian Cher and Sean, players who'd either been discarded or had, had, lost, had lost form. And then, you know, for Dan Byrne to score that moment, that was, that was one of the most precious moments. Yeah that I can remember and I was choked up at that moment because in some ways the wait for the goal to be, to be given made things worse but in other ways it made things better and it encapsulated this wait that we've all had for Newcastle to come back to be the I, be I the think team also George, sorry to put in, I think also it gives sort of credence to for so many years that we've been saying how great our fan base is, how amazing the atmosphere is at St James's Park and there's, there's been a section that, all oh, right, okay, yeah, we believe you. But I think that the other evening, because of how wide it was and, and how far it went, that there would have been so many people think this is what they've been talking about all these years. This is what St. James's Park can actually be like. And I, I think it, it also sent a huge message out to, uh, to who and what we are. Yeah, absolutely. If you could have bottled that feeling that night, it would have been unbelievable, wouldn't it? It was incredible. I just kept looking down at my son, 12-year-old, standing next to me just with a massive beaming smile on his face and his big, wide eyes looking at the pitch. And I just looked at him and went, it's not always like this, you know. <laughs> it's normally shit. Don't get used to this. Yeah, but it might be for him. That's the scary thing. <laughs> Say again, sorry? It might be for him. Well, it might be, yeah, exactly. That's it. And, and this, I mean, is, this is his Barcelona, isn't it? Yeah. But that's for fellow 12-year-olds. I mean, we don't know Newcastle... <laughs> like this it's completely new but, but I, I suppose my my theory was that and you know i've never seen newcastle win anything neither neither of you alan and you know i crave that i long for that i can't wait for that moment to, to feel what that feels like but in some ways i think that was the perfect absolutely the perfect moment does it get any better than that you know again just having that sense of wonder about what we're witnessing local lads scoring against psg their team of superstars just being pushed back by the noise, the noise that we're all making and the noise that's on the pitch. And at some point, it kind of has to happen. We had this conversation a little bit this afternoon, Alan, about, you know, I don't want Newcastle to be PSG where the only thing that matters is the Champions League. You went down to London to interview Pochettino and I came with you, I carried your bags that day, you're welcome. <laughs> um, and he, you know, we talked to him about winning something, which he hadn't done as a manager before then. And he said, yeah, but it didn't matter because they only wanted one thing. Yeah. And I don't want Newcastle to be that club. I want Newcastle to be this club right now. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to shamelessly uh, blow my own horn at this point, which is quite difficult when you're my age. Um, can we get this on the screen, please? There you go. There he is. Look at that face. 
I'd love to see this fella rise like a salmon and plant a header into the PSG net. Uh, mm. Chris said it didn't hit the net, so that doesn't count. <laughs> that is the most... That is the most woof thing ever, that is. Sorry. Uh, why it don't, it didn't why, hit the net. It, it didn't hit the net. Why don't you double pivot on that, Chris? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was my favourite moment of the PSG game. I have to say, I thought that was pretty special, seeing Dan and uh, enjoying that goal. We've got a little bit of a, of a special guest here this evening as well, ladies and gents. I'm not sure he's going to enjoy me doing this, but David Burns here, which is Dan's dad, and he's down at the front. Can you give him a round of applause, please? Just, just to interject here as well, I can confirm that David also predicted that Dan was going to score ahead of that night, didn't you, David? I did, yeah. I told him in the afternoon he was going to score. Definitely. How many games have you said he's going to score? <laughs> Most of them. Most of them. David, what was going through your head when that VAR check was, was happening? Because I know what was going through mine. I was crying. Were you crying? I was crying. crying. Seriously. And then when it was given, crying amazing. even more. More. Just amazing. amazing. Oh, what a moment though, George. Yeah. George is going to cry now. Right, so I, I, I do want to try and make you cry again, if at all possible. Are you um, going to cry, George? Well, I might go first, so let's, let's have a look. At some point, we need to hook to both of you up to monitors and sort of test who produces more tears yeah, over we the course do of that, yeah. But, um, yeah, there was a, a story that I've told a, a couple of times on our podcast also, True Faiths. Hello, True Faith. Um, and I want to say it again, I'm going to add to it a little bit, but um, I was very lucky enough to be at the front of the, uh, of, the, of the ground, down by the dugouts, which is where you get to interview footballers after matches. And it was in the takeover season, so it was after January. It might have been after the last game of the season. I can't remember. And I was talking to Dan, who, as I said to you outside, I've fallen in love with. I'm sure we all have in lots of ways. Um, and he broke off from our conversation because Amanda and Murdad came down from the director's box because they were going in to see the manager and, and the team. And, and he broke off and gave Murdad a hug and said, thank you for bringing me home, which was a beautiful moment, and I'm very lucky to have witnessed it. But the more that I've kind of thought about that, the more it's only, it's only half the story, actually. Because if you go back to TakeOver, if you go back to, to Wolves, I was at Wolves Away, Charlotte was at Wolves Away, Charlotte Robson and Alex from, from True Faith, and coming back from that game, I've never felt as low. Chris talked about that. It's like, this isn't what I want to do with my life anymore, and I know that if you were in that away end, or know people who were in that away end, it was the flattest it's ever been. And so Bobby famously asked, what is a club in any case? The definition of that answer, the real answer, is that a club is a group of people brought together for a common cause. And at Newcastle, people were being pushed apart and there was no common cause. And now you look at Newcastle and see this ferocity on the pitch. You see Newcastle beating Paris Saint-Germain 4-1 at home. You see the aggression they play with. You see the beauty they play with. You look at all of us, all of us in it together, finally a club again. And so, next time you speak to your lad, can you please say to him, thank you, Dan, for bringing us home. Thank you. 
It's a bit he's, fucking dusty in here now, isn't it? Eh? He's, <laughs> are, you, are you just doing... Are you wiping your eyes for effect there? No, no, no. <laughs> Thanks, oh, man. My word. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Speaking of emotional, there was a lovely shot of you, Alan, at the end of that game, the PSG game, stood in your box looking... Let's see emotional. Yeah, is that the word? Well, pissed, I think, was the <laughs> yeah. word. Yeah. Um, yeah, what a night. I mean, I did expect, I did think that we could uh, we could beat them, but certainly not in that manner or not in that style. Um, other than the first two or three minutes, I think when Dembele had that shot that went yeah. wide past the far post, we uh, we totally dominated. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a, it was just an unbelievable night, one that we've craved, one that all the players worked so hard for to get because that that's ultimately what they worked the nuts off for last season was to get into the top four to get and have nights like that and then when the draw was made I mean I was I thought it was an unbelievable draw great draw you probably heard the story about when we were at Blackburn when we won the league at Blackburn we sat around the television all as a squad and as a team waiting for the draw to come out Blackburn never been in the Champions League before after just winning the league and we all sat there and our draw was Rosenberg first team out second team was Legia Warsaw and the third team was Spartak Moscow and I could see everyone go fuck it that's a cold that's cold that draw isn't it horrible draw and then we all go out to train and miserable as hell but The draw for Newcastle was just exactly what everyone needed and wanted, the players, the fans. And you could you could tell, all right, we might have got a little bit fortunate in Milan, but there was nothing fortunate about that performance and result last week. It was amazing. Alan, that PSG game, I mean, what you remember from it, were you surprised? And I mean, George spoke about it before, about the club that PSG sort of is and that it's all about the Champions League. Were you surprised by how they approached the game? Because it almost seemed like they hadn't watched Newcastle. They didn't know how Newcastle were going to play. They didn't know what St. James's Park was going to be like. That was like the ultimate way of not playing when you come to St. James's Park, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know whether it was lack of preparation or it was just an arrogance that we can turn up here and we can beat Newcastle. Um, I mean, I, I heard Louis Enrique say beforehand that Newcastle were the team in pot four that no one wanted. Well, you wouldn't have thought that the way his sort of team went about it because they, I, they just didn't look as if they expected us to press them. They didn't look as if they knew the intensity that Newcastle were going to play with. And it looked as if we caught them on the hop, really. And they, once we got into them, there was just no coming back. They couldn't recover. It was 20 years on. And as I said, we, we, we discussed, we talked about that, that last Champions League campaign, the, 
you know, the last, the last proper Champions League campaign. At the time, you didn't think that was the end of something, did you? You, no, thought, that was, you thought that was the beginning of something, surely? <clears throat> yeah, I know. We played Leverkusen, I think, the week before, wasn't it, where we won? And then into Milan and the San Siro, which we drew. And then, yeah, just soon after that, that was it, basically. I mean, Jesus, no. Never, ever did we think that would have, that would have been it for 20, or 20, nearly 21 years. So... I think it's even more so. You just in football, you just never know what's around the corner. So it's hugely important that you enjoy what's in front of you, and what has happened in the past. But I think for this team and for this squad and the way things are going, then it definitely ain't going to be the last. And there's there's plenty more of those nights here the night. And we you were saying about that's as good as it gets. Well, it probably won't be when we win something. And I say not if it's when because. The way, the way things are going, then, it, it, surely it can't be too long. No, you would imagine that this is the beginning of something pretty special, wouldn't yeah. you? I mean, it's, Jacob, how are you feeling about all this with you being an, an outsider? Last, last Wednesday must have been incredible for you to be there and to witness all that, even as a neural. I'm still hopeful that Everton are going to win silverware before Newcastle, because I think the championship trophy is looking <laughs> awfully, <laughs> awfully shiny for 2024-25. Yeah, the Johnson's Pier trophy doesn't count, mate. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. But that's the, I mean, that is the incredible thing about Newcastle at the moment is that you've got that overwhelming sense that doesn't actually matter what happens today because in a year's time, the team is going to be stronger, the club is going to be bigger and better and it doesn't take away the jeopardy of a moment like getting to the cup final or, you know, that, that sort of run, but that overall feeling that this is the start of something and the club is going to get better is just so powerful because we've just had this era where you knew that even when counter to all expectation, Newcastle managed to get something right, it would be followed by two fucking awful decisions which would then undermine everything. So, you know, it's, that is one of the beauties of, of the time we've got now that it's only going to get better and stronger even when results might but not be with But it us. is really, really difficult to win a trophy. It is like so difficult, so hard because when you look at all the other clubs, huge clubs, that are after the same thing. And that's why there was so much resistance to Newcastle, because they knew that the power and the strength, that the Newcastle are not going to go away. Um, and there's another big boy at the table now, and that is us. So um, that's why there was so much resistance to us coming along, because all those clubs want the same thing. The huge clubs, the, de the demand for trophies at these massive football clubs who are spending ridiculous amounts of money to win that trophy or a trophy. It, that's why we have to savour what we get and that's why we've got to hope and pray that once we get one, which will be the hardest one, yeah. then you just never know. Absolutely. We're hoping for that snowball, aren't we? It just keeps going and win again and again. And once, again. once we get one, I'm just... That's it. I mean, just, you know, that's part bench territory. It's waiting. I'm, oh, who was that? That used to be Alan Shearer. He's just been on a park bench for a month. He's got this massive beard. That's what we I, all want, isn't it? Just imagine that Jorgen's hit retirement at that point and just every so often Google your own name and say, Cup final report by George Culkin. And then try and uh, just read over that again and again, those sweet lines. When are you back to work, Chris? I'm actually looking forward to it. <laughs> Who was, who, uh, let's just by show of hands, who was at the, uh, the cup final? Who went the cup final last year? Fabulous, look at that. That's brilliant. Who <coughs> sent the text to work saying, now if this goes the way we want it to, there's a chance I won't be back on Monday. <laughs> yeah, that's most people, yeah, excellent. 
Great stuff. Yeah, I think if Newcastle win anything, it used to be if we won a corner, I'd get excited. Now it's, you know, there's every, there's every chance we could win something in the next few years. Uh, right, we're going to finish off the first half very soon. But before we finish the first half, I want to mark another little landmark as well, because as we mentioned in the intro, Chris Woff's epic paternity leave uh, is coming to an end. It's currently on its 135th week. Um, <laughs> Which means Pod in the Time will be saying goodbye to someone. Jacob, now we understand that you might be popping up here and there with some Newcastle jobs, but your full-time stint is almost over, and what a stint it's been. Obviously, we've just heard about all the incredible stuff that's happening in Newcastle United, but we also wanted to say how incredible it's been to work with you. It's a huge ask moving to cover football in a town that's new to you, and especially in this part of the world where we have such a unique outlook on life and such a unique sense of humour. What's been amazing is how quickly you've grasped all that. Within a fortnight of starting, you had Chris worried about his job. Um, Obviously not worried enough to come back to work. (laughs) Uh, And you've also, in your time here, you've covered some of the most remarkable moments in the club's history with the skill of a seasoned pro and the nuance of a true Geordie, which is what you are now, let's be honest, aren't you? You've accepted it now, haven't you? One of us. One of us. Can I... (laughs) Thanks, Mum. Can can I be a Geordie without being a Newcastle supporter? No. Is that not a a thing? We. Come on. We. We. Just say we. Just say it once. We. Just say it once. (laughs) Just say it once. We. We. It's yes in fucking French. So, Jacob, behalf of Ed, on, on behalf of everybody from Pod in the Time, we'd like to say thank you, don't be a stranger, and don't go off too quick in the Great North Run next year. Uh, this is for you, mate. There we go. That's the first piece of silverware lifted in this city. In uh, You're not welcome. Get out. Get off. <laughs> See you later, mate. Tra. He'll be back in six months because Chris will have another baby by then, so it'll be all right. (laughs) Right then, ladies and gents, uh, that's it. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Cheers. The Athletic.